If you will, this morning, turn with me to Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. It's Ecclesiastes 3, 11, where our text will be found this morning. Ecclesiastes 3, 11 says this. He has made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He has set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, how great Thou art. How merciful Thou art. Lord, I thank Thee that You have brought us back here today. We thank Thee, Lord, for Thy faithfulness. Thank Thee, Lord, for Thy love. I pray, O Lord, as we begin a new year, that, Lord, You would begin with us. That You, Lord, would reveal Thyself to each one of us this day that you would reveal these two gospel truths that you have put in thy word and speak of thy son. O Lord, may you be pleased to open up this passage now, that you clear our minds of all the worldliness, that you would clear our minds of all the earthly mindedness, and that you would be pleased to bring us to thy feet to instruct us in thy holy word. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, it's very good to be back, and, and I'm thankful for the passage the Lord has given me this morning to begin this year. I, I can think of no other way to begin it with these two gospel truths that are found in this, this short verse. He hath made everything beautiful in His time, which teaches us about the sovereignty of our Lord, that according to His Word, everything that He has made is beautiful. To him in his time. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning and also the second part which you would think kind of doesn't fit but it does. Um, it's a result of the fall. The result of that great fall that happened in the garden and because of that all of mankind has been plunged into that fall and are partakers of that fall and because of that our text tells us that the world has been set so close to us, the world that is an enemy against our Lord, is an enemy against the people of God. It's been set so close to us, and the reason for it is for dependency. Gospel dependency, both in, in matters that are temporal and both in matters of the heart and matters of spirituality and experiential matters that the Lord has set the world so close to us. He has set the enemy so close to us so that we, as our text tells us, no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. It's a, it's a timely passage for us as we begin another year. There's no knowledge. There's no knowledge that man has that he can attain or know more of the Lord unless it's revealed. That's what the Lord tells us here. The world is so close to us, the reason being is that the Lord would have us to depend upon Him as our Heavenly Father. So this morning we'll look at this in two parts. The first part, He hath made everything beautiful in His time. I know this morning I've read headlines while I've been out. I've seen the things going on in the world. I've seen, as I said before, as we were waiting, I've seen the wickedness of man as I've been traveling. I've seen the wickedness that lies within me. I've seen wickedness all around. And um, 
So when I'm challenged with a text like this, when the Lord says He has made everything beautiful in His time, when the Holy Spirit says that, it must not be looking at it from my perspective. And I think that's where we get in trouble a lot. When we come to the Word of God, we look at it from our perspective. Like it's a, a story or it's, a, it's something written for our benefit or our, on our behalf. Like we can take this book and we can interpret it and fit it into our life that way when that's not what the Word of God is. It is the Word of God as revealed by the Holy Spirit from His perspective. How He looks at man. How He looks at His children. How He views His Son. And the first thing we have is He has made everything beautiful in His time. In the Lord's time. Um, as I said, we turn and come to a new year. And I know that man is bound by time. And um, as time goes by, we unroll these years and years and years. And we celebrate a new year. And, and um, sometimes that brings depression. Sometimes we look back at the year that was and we lament over it. And we think about how bad it was, and sometimes it brings hope. Sometimes we think, well, it can't be any worse this year than it was last year. But that's, once again, the way we look at things. If the Lord allows this morning, and He allows us to, to see from His eyes, if He gives us the faith to see from His eyes that He has ordained all things and that He has made everything beautiful in His time. We'll start this morning... Um, in Colossians 1, if you will. If you go over there with me, we'll learn what this, uh, I guess I should say, who this He is. He that has made everything beautiful in His time. We begin in Colossians 1, and we begin in verse 16. We'll jump right in where Paul has been talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through His blood. We have the forgiveness of sins. He's the image of, the of God, the firstborn of every creature, we're told as we read down to 16. For by Him, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. So right there at the beginning this morning, we... In our text it says, He has made everything beautiful in His time. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything has been given into His hand, as you'll see here into our, in our passage. Everything has been made by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. That means He was eternal. That means He is eternal. That means He was before anything was created. He is before all things and by Him. All things consist. I pray that the Lord impresses this upon us this year, throughout the entire year, that whatever circumstance we see in this life, whatever is going on in the political world, whatever is going on in the world, the Lord has ordained all of these things, and there's one reigning. There is one King of kings, Lord of lords, who's reigning over all these circumstances, all, over all of these events. It's all been placed in His hand. He has created all things and all of it is for His glory. That's a hard thing to understand when we're in the midst of trials and we're in the midst of afflictions and we're in the midst of our complaining that we do for what we see going on in our country or what we see going on in the world. But when the Lord gives us a perception of what He's done, and that's faith, when the Lord gives the gift of faith to see Him reigning, 
to see that he has performed all things for his good, for his glory. That's where the sheep's rest is. It's resting in the love of the shepherd and what the, lo the love of the Lord that he has done all things and performed all things for us. He is the head of the body, verse 18. The church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, we see the reason why. Why did God make it this way? That in all things, He might have the preeminence. As we come into the year 2020, and as the Lord the Holy Spirit comes at this hour, if He's pleased to do so, I pray that He causes us to take inventory. Causes us to, to question that very thing in our lives. Does the Lord Jesus Christ have preeminence? Has the Lord set up His rule in my life that He has revealed preeminence in that life? That He is the Lord of Lords. That He is in control of all things. That He is the master of all of our fears. That He is over all of our concerns and all of our complaints. That He is a Lord that cares for us. Has He established that in your soul? Has He established His preeminence in your soul? Because yes, He has made everything beautiful in His time. And then we, hear, we see the greater reason, if we can say that, for it pleased the Father that in Him, that in Christ, should all fullness dwell. You want to know why He's reigning? You want to know why He's the King of kings? You want to know why He has preeminence? Because the Father has given it to Him. And we, if we be the children of God, are the body of Christ. And everything must flow from the head. And every blessing, every trial, every hardship, every good thing, everything that we get is a result of our Heavenly Father's care for us and love for us that He has placed everything in His Joseph. Now all of those storehouses, now that the Lord Jesus Christ has stored in Himself, just as that account showed that everyone in the time of famine had to come to Him, had to come to Joseph, that's, what, that's a picture of our spiritual sense. That's a reality in our soul. We must come to Christ. We must be brought to Christ to cry out for Him, to cry out for His preeminence to cry out for His love, to cry out for His nearness, to cry out for His sufficiency, to cry out for Him, His preciousness, His mercy, His grace. All of this, the joy, the, the long-suffering, the patience is all stored in Christ. And when our text says He has made everything beautiful in His time, it reveals to us that He has a time and place for everything to be brought about in our life. Everything. Every need you have this morning will be met in Christ. Every worry that you have will be answered in Christ in His time. Paul tells us in Romans 8.28, you knew I had to share this, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. All things. He has made all things, everything, beautiful in His time. In Psalm 104.24, David writes, O Lord, how manifold are Thy works! In wisdom hast Thou made them all. 
The earth is full of thy riches. I know that as we, it was a little easier to see that as I was on vacation. It was easier to see how great the Lord was as we're looking at mountains and as we're taking hikes and seeing the beauty of the waterfalls. And, and, and it spoke to me about how great the Lord cares for us. We'd see creatures, we'd hear creatures, we'd see things and how the Lord would take care of them. And the Lord quickened to me then, but how much greater does He care for His children? How much greater does He know all of our concerns? How much greater is He, is he to perform and make everything beautiful in His time? I thought about that deeply as I thought about sin. I could never say that sin is made beautiful. My Lord and Savior had to die for sin. The Father's wrath was so kindled against sin that He sent His only Son. But what I can see is the beauty that He has made to reveal that I'm a sinner. That I'm a sinner in need of grace. A sinner in need of the blood of the Lamb. He's made that beautiful in His time. In my time, it's to dwell on it. In my time, is to look at it and say, Lord, how unworthy I am. And all of that is true. But in His time, He reveals the mercy to reveal that we are sinners. The mercy to reveal that we need His blood. The mercy to reveal how deep He is to forgive 70 times 7 in perfection over and over again as we sin against Him. How great is His love. How great and beautiful is everything made in His time. Let's go back to our text now and let's, let's back up to read down to verse 11 because we'll see something more about time. I don't think verse 11 should ever be separated from the beginning of Ecclesiastes 3 because it's the culmination of how the Lord has made, Jesus Christ has made all of these things we're about to read beautiful in His time. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. All of these times are made beautiful in His time. Don't forget that. That's what our text is leading to. That all of these times that the Lord brings in our life. And I'm not just talking about the outside that comes in. I'm talking about in your soul. These are soul workings. A time to kill. A time to heal. A time to break down. A time to build up. That's soul work. There's a time for mortification of sin, but there's a time for the Lord to show us that sin is forgiven. There's a time for us to be broken down by the great breaker that is Christ, and there's a time for Him to heal and bring us up. There's a time for us to weep and mourn over sin and our wretchedness, but there's a time to laugh and have joy in what the Lord has done. And then there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. David was quite the dancer as he had such great joy in what the Lord filled him in his soul 
and how happy he was. And he showed that with an outward uh, work or an outward showing of the Lord's presence in his soul. May the Lord impress that joy upon us this morning. It's a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. I find that one in my life much examined, much examined. I think sometimes, is this a time to say something? Is this not a time to say something? And I, I know that in my life, as I've, I've been questions about those things, people around me will Dad, why didn't you say something? Or, Honey, why didn't you say something? There's a time to keep silence. And there's a time to speak. There is a time to speak forth the truth. There is a time to throw those pearls out. But there's a time not to. What does that make you? And I know what it makes me. It makes me dependent. I hear that. I read that in my word. Lord, how will I know? How will I know that time to speak? How will I know that time to be quiet? I'm dependent. I'm dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I'm dependent upon the Lord who has, has made everything beautiful in His time to make it beautiful in His time. Not my time. In His time. A time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. You ever have those moments in your soul? A time to love and a time to hate? Has the Lord ever given you a holy hatred for sin and a holy hatred for those that, that oppose Christ and a holy hatred for, for anything evil in the wicked way? Does He give you that hatred? But does He give you that love for truth? Does He give you the love for His Son? Does He give you a love for the people of God? To give you a love for that which is pure. And yes, there is always a time of war. If your soul is always at war, and as we're promised in this life, we have the company of two armies in us. We have the flesh, the old nature, and the new nature. And they're always at war. But praise be to God that Christ is peace. Because there is a time of peace when the Lord puts down that enemy that's so close within us. We're going to talk about one of them today, the world. But when he shuts the mouth of the roaring lion of Satan, when he, when he puts down the old nature and exalts the new nature of Christ in us, that is a time for peace. It's a time to see and have revealed to us what Christ has done in the soul. It's a blessed time of communion in that union time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And then we have these words from the wise Solomon, from the Holy Spirit, what profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? As he, as he reflected upon all of these things and these times that the Lord showed and revealed to him, he said, what, what profit is this? has he that works in that wherein he laboreth. I have seen the travail of man, which God hath given to the sons of men, to be exercised in it. It is the vanity of man to say that creature worship, will worship, self-exaltation, 
Solomon writes and the Holy Spirit writes that all of that is vanity. It's all vanity to think that you or any man has any part in what the Lord brings about in His time. I used to be an avid chess player. I don't play much anymore. But I think about that every time I play chess. The moving of pawns. And I think about my sovereign Lord of how He arranges all people in all places and all events all for the good of His people. All to make everything beautiful in His time. As we see in these last two verses, not in man's time. Not according to man. We, we read in Colossians 1 already this morning. We read what the purpose of it was. For His preeminence. It pleased the Father to give Him preeminence. That all things are for Him. May the Lord impress that upon us. In this, this morning, in this day, and throughout this year. And then we come to our text. He has made everything beautiful in His time. See why that's important to read in conjunction with the other. Now that all these times have come, the Holy Spirit brings us back to Christ. And He says, all of these times are in His hand. All of these times, He's made everything beautiful in His time. But then we have this exhortation, if you will. We have a warning, if you will. But we also have this great declaration of love. You know, as I said earlier, the fall when we fell, we don't think about that much. In fact, in our minds and in our hearts, sometimes we even contemplate maybe we wouldn't have done what Adam did. You know, maybe we go down those thoughts and say, well, well if I had to choose that, I, I wouldn't have done that. I would have chose the Lord. But the Bible tells us that's a lie. And the Bible tells us that we all fell in Adam. What Adam did represented every one of us. And out of that fall, these enemies that are so close around us, you say, well, what a heinous act this is. Why would God set the world so close to us? He has made everything beautiful in His time. He has made everything beautiful in His time. We need to see that. We need to see that everything we do and touch is marred by sin. You know that by now. I know you've all lived long enough to know that. That what you touch and what you do and everything you bring into it has thoughts of sin that's tainted with it. But not the Lord. The world is set so close to us. This enemy of the world is set so close to us to drive us, if you will, to bring us, if you will, to Christ to bring us to be dependent upon our Lord. It's funny, in, in preparation a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was um, looking at different sermons that they, they preached on this passage on Sermon Audio, and I couldn't believe how many people missed this. They took the word world out, which, is, which by the way is translated world. <laughs> I mean, there's no other word to put in there. for the, It's the same as 1 John 2, which we'll go to here, the world there. It's the same word, and yet they would take and put eternity in it and spin it to say that, that God has put eternity so close to us. And, but that's not what the text says. The text is speaking to the child of God's soul and explaining to him that we have somewhere to run, that we have someone who has conquered the world. 
We have someone who we depend on for knowledge. We have someone who we depend on for grace. We have someone who we depend on for mercy. Because if we look to the world, if we embrace the world, then the opposite takes place. See, the world is set in our hearts so that no man can find out the work. That's knowledge. No man can achieve knowledge. No man can know God. No man can know what God makes from the beginning to the end. No man can understand his own life because the world is set so close to his heart by design. I need him. Do you need him? Let's talk a little bit about the world. Let's talk a little bit about this enemy. Let's go to... Well, no, let's first hear from James. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? What a question that is. Do you know that a friendship with the world and all that the world has, its riches, its allurements, its temptations, don't you know that all of if you are a friend of the world, you're at enmity with God? Do you know that? Is that something we need to be taught this year? Absolutely. We need to be taught that every year. We need to be taught that every day. It's an enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's a powerful passage. If you befriend the world, if the world is your confidant, if the world is the one you look for your safety, if the world is where you look for your peace, if the world is where you look for your love, you are at enmity with God. Now let's hold our place there and turn over to 1 John chapter 2. Uh, verse 15. You know what I've got. Now listen to what John says this morning. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world. Okay, We've heard that many times. Love, it's, a, it's an injunction. It's a command. It's a it's a warning. It's a danger. Danger. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world. Now this, this is the part that scares me the most. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Did you see that? There's one set against the other. You can't love the world and you can't love Christ at the same time. You can't. The truth of the matter is, if you love the world... The love of the Father is not in you. If the world is what you have, if the world is all that you look forward to, if the world is what you get up through every morning to run out into, to be more part of the Bible, the Word of God says the love of the Father is not in you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Do you hear those three things? Now, may the Holy Spirit come and examine those in our soul. The lust of the flesh. That's something you desire for your body. Something you desire for you for gratification. That is what the, that's in the world. The lust of the eyes, what you see, that will add that you think will add substance to you 
or something you see that you must have, you gotta have. You've heard that so many times. People you love, people I gotta have that. I must have that. That's the lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. Look how that one gets thrown in there. Well, it's it's thrown in there because it's a reality. The pride of life. That you know, I, I the more I live, the more I see religious pride is worse pride than any pride in this world. Religious pride is your entitlement for what you believe you've earned that God has done for you. I I hesitate to say that. But that pride is always on display in man's mind and how he goes out and carries himself and he always feels like in the religious world that he's owed something. Well, I'm better than you are. So I didn't do the things you did. So I'm better. So I'm worthy of His grace. No, He came to save sinners. He came the just for the unjust. He came to set those prisoners free that are captive. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is what the Lord came... This is who He came for. But all of those things are not of the Father, but is of the world. Those things that I just mentioned, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Now turn over to 1 John 3 and look how it starts. Behold, here's the good news now. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What great love the Lord has bestowed upon His children to save them from this enemy of the world. Therefore the world knoweth us not. The world will not know a child of God. They will not know why the child of God lives the way that He does. The world will not understand why the child of God reacts the way that He does. The world will not understand Christ in them, the hope of glory. The world will never, it's not given to them to understand. They have not not that knowledge. They cannot attain to that knowledge. The world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. The world cannot know the people of God because they don't know God. They can't know the body of Christ because they don't know Christ. What is this implying for the child of God? That God in Christ and the Holy Spirit is His life. Is His life. And that yes, we are an open epistle read by all men. And yes, as the Lord Jesus Christ called His children the light of the world, we are the light of this world that the world cannot comprehend and that the world cannot know. Beloved, look at verse 2. Now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. How true that is. I I think about that often. To what, what it will be like to not carry this body of flesh around and to not be living in a den of iniquity and in this world. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be. But we know that. This is the key part to the whole passage today. When He shall appear. 
when He shall appear. See, He's made everything beautiful in His time. And He overrules that world that's so close to us. And when He appears is when the soul is brought right with Him. When He appears. When He appears in the soul, the world is put down. When He appears in the soul, the world is put in its proper place under His feet. When He appears in the soul, there's peace. When He appears in the soul, there's love. So, that dependency that our text tells us today is so needful for us, that dependency is answered in Christ revealing Himself in our soul. When He shall appear. See, that's called mining the treasures of the Word. Well, well, yes, Lord, you've you've put that, you've put that, that enemy that's so close to me, and now, Lord, I'm frightened, because I know what following that enemy will do. It's death for me. Oh, but I put it there, so that you will come to me. I put it there to bring you to me. I put it there to show you what the life is without me. I put it there to show you what wickedness is and what holiness is in me. This is what He's done for His people. This is what He's done. When He shall appear, we shall be like Him. He's conforming us to His image by lopping off the deadness, mortifying the deadness, and chopping off the worldliness. Christ was not of the world. He condemned the world. When He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That's the only victory we have over this text today. How do I know that I won't get sucked in by this enemy that's so close to me? Because He said so. He said He keeps His children. He said He is faithful. He said what He has begun... He will finish. He said, and I believe it by faith, that He will perform all things for me. He has set the world in their heart. To destroy them? No. To entice them? No. So that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. So that no man will depend upon himself. You say, well, there's men out there depending on themselves. Well, this isn't for them. This is for the children of God. So that no one will depend upon self. Self Self-creature worship, will worship, self-exaltation, self-righteousness, all those things that begin in self are horrible sins. May the Lord put them away from us this day. And may He show us the reality of what He's done. The reality of how He's put down the world. The reality of when He appears. He has revealed to us that all of these enemies that attack us in this life, all of them are under His feet. All of them will be destroyed in His time. All of them will be realized by us that they're destroyed in His time. He'll make everything beautiful in His time text one more time. He hath made everything beautiful in His time. 
Also He has set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. Dear ones, as you walk out of here today, as you go back to work and what the Lord, whatever vineyard the Lord has given you, understand that the blessings of those vineyards and the trials and everything that He gives you is a gift of God. It's His to you. It is His that while we're here on this earth that He has busied us with these things. That He has been good and gracious and such a great benefactor to give us all of what is His to give. That every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. I know that. Listen to this. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Do you know that today? Do you know that your sovereign God, whatever He does, it will be forever? And no man could stay His hand. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before Him. Oh, do we have that in our hearts to fear this Lord who performs all things for His people. That which has been is now. Well, if this don't remind you of Jesus Christ yesterday, today, and forever. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requires that which is past. All times are in His hand. Jesus Christ today is the same Lord that was the Lord of Him, Solomon here in Ecclesiastes. The same Lord of Paul that we've heard from today and John that we've heard from today. He is the same Christ yesterday, today, and forever. May that Christ bring us into this year with His presence in our soul to put down the world, to put down Satan, to put down the flesh, to bring us to Him that we may be fruitful and prosper in Him that we may be revealed His work and give Him all the glory. Dear Heavenly Father, may You add Thy power and Thy clarity. For Thy name, Jesus' name I pray. Amen.